Welcome everybody to DHC. If it is your first time, and I saw many first timers on the way in, welcome. If I didn't get a chance to say hi to you, my name is John. I appreciate you guys coming on out, particularly on Air Show Sunday, Mother's Day Sunday. I know there's a lot of things that you could be doing, and so we're just thankful that you're giving us a little bit of your time. So, <clears throat> catching you up to speed. We are smack dab in the middle of this series that we are calling Breaking Free. And last week, if you weren't here, we were talking about this idea that as humans, we've become very good at monitoring our behavior, sort of watching what we say and watching what we do, sort of, you know, so that we don't have unintended consequences in our lives. And we've been very good at sort of monitoring our behavior. And yet every once in a while, we'll just sort of say something that was just so unlike us. And it's kind of like, oh, where did, I'm sorry, like, where did, where did that come from? Well, Jesus kind of steps onto the scene and goes, well, I, I know where it came from. It came from your heart. Because you got a lot of issues going on inside your heart. And monitoring your behavior is just not enough. It's not going to cover it. You need to learn how to monitor your heart. And so what we've been doing and what we will be doing is over the next four weeks, we're taking a look at four, what I'm going to call heart problems uh, that many of us struggle with. And these are the issues that are keeping us from becoming the person that God wants us to be, and for that matter, keeping us from becoming the person that we want to be. And through the use of Scripture, we're going to try to find out how we can break free from these heart problems. So last week, if you were here, you remember that we talked about guilt and, and what we can do to sort of get rid of the guilt in our life and, and move beyond that. But today, what I want to talk about is an issue that I would argue is the most destructive of all the hard problems that we're going to talk about in this series. And when it comes to this issue, it is experienced over a wide spectrum. Nobody feels this issue exactly in the same way. It's over a wide spectrum, and I'm going to do the best that I can to sort of cast a wide net, if you will, but you're going to have to take what we talk about today and, and figure out how to apply it to your own particular situation. But no matter how this heart issue presents itself in your life, it's a problem, and we got to figure out how we can break free from it. So today, what I want to talk about is anger, anger. Now, if you're human, most of you are human, we have all felt anger at some point in our lives. Some of us have felt anger every day. Some of us, well, we feel nothing but anger. So what is the cause of anger? What is kind of at the root of anger? In my opinion, before we throw this up on the screen, I'm just going to say that you're going to see what I put up here, and I think some of you might disagree with it. You might say, I, I think you're wrong. I don't think that is sort of what is the root of anger. But before you say that, just give me a chance to kind of work through this because maybe I can change your mind. I think at the root of it, I believe that anger is rooted in not getting what you want or not getting what you deserve. Now, I don't, I don't mean necessarily you're being a brat. It's kind of like, eh, you know, didn't get my way and I'm angry. That might be you, but that that's not everybody, and that's not what I'm really talking about. What I mean is that when you're angry at a surface level, and you can kind of point to, well, I'm angry because of X or Y or Z or whatever the case may be, when you dig below the surface and you start poking around, what you'll find is that the reason you're angry is because you didn't get what you want, or you didn't get what you deserve or think you deserve. 
And when you're angry, and you might not articulate it this way, but when you're angry, it leaves you with this sense that someone has taken something from you, that, that somebody owes you something. For example, let's say for you an issue that you're sort of wrestling with in your life is a broken marriage. And I don't need the details of what your particular scenario might be, but let's just, for argument's sake, let's say it was infidelity. Your husband cheated. Your wife cheated. And you're angry. Understandably so. And if I were to ask you, why are you angry? You would say, well, I'm angry because they cheated. That's surface level. If you can begin to dig down deep, what you'll find is that you're actually angry because they took something from you. What did they take from you? They took your chance to have a healthy first marriage, right? And you wanted that. You deserve the right to have a healthy first marriage. That's something we all want. And they took that from you, and that's what they owe you. Now, maybe for some of you, you're dealing with trauma. And we do not need to get into the details of what this looks like. This could be many things for many different people. But for you, you're angry because that person did that thing to you. Whatever that thing is, whoever that person might be. But when you dig down below the surface, what you're really angry about is they took something from you. They stole something. They might have stolen your, in your innocence. They might have stolen your, 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 your ability to feel safe. They might have taken your ability to trust. You deserve all that. You deserve innocence. You have a right to want to, to trust people and to feel safe. And that was taken from you. And they owe that to you. Keeping it a little lighter. Maybe for you, it's that promotion. Ooh, baby, you wanted that job. Right? And you put the extra hours in. I mean, you, you stayed at that office late. You missed your kid's birthday because you had to put the hours in because you had to impress your boss. Maybe you worked a couple of weekends. You skipped vacation for an entire year because you needed to prove your worth to get that job. But then your coworker, who's got everybody fooled, by the way, who, who's done nothing, by the way, he got your job. And now you're angry. But why are you really angry? Because he or she took something from you. They took an opportunity away from you. They, they, they took your time away from you. All that time you spent trying to get, they took that from you. Maybe they even took your reputation at some level. See, whatever the case may be, when it comes to our anger, at the root of it is this idea that somebody owes you something. They took something from you, and now they owe you something. Now, like guilt, if you were here last week, like guilt, this is almost the flip side of the conversation, a debt exists. And when a debt exists, you have two options. You can pay back the debt or you can cancel the debt. And when you're angry, there, it almost feels like there really is one option, payback. Because canceling the debt, well, that just feels like you're letting that person off the hook. Am I right? But... When you step back, I mean, if you can step back, when you sort of step back from the emotion of anger and you start to assess what has actually been taken from you, and we're going to talk about this at the end of today. When you actually begin to assess what has been taken from you, what you'll find is that much of what has been taken cannot be repaid. Because 
Think about this. How do you repay innocence? How do you repay that first marriage that, that ended? And so what happens is many of us often wait a lifetime for that repayment, and it never comes. And so that anger that we feel, it just grows and it grows and it grows and it builds. And anger that is left to grow turns into bitterness. And when you are bitter, it affects everything. Because now, now that you're bitter, now instead of one person owing you something, now the whole world owes you. Now, you don't just have a problem with one person. You got a problem with everybody. Now, people might describe you as an angry person. Is that you? I mean, have you ever heard like whispers in the office that, oh, they're just a real, they got a chip on their shoulder. Why? Because at some point along the way, you became your anger. Now, inevitably, when we do a message like this, some of you are like, gosh, I am so glad that my husband came today. Ooh, I'm so, I am so glad that my wife came. I'm so happy that I told my boss to like watch online. John, listen, you got them right, you got them right where I need them, right? Just lean into them, really give it to them because these people, oh boy, they got some anger issues. I need you to help me. We throw, you know, throw a dog a bone here. Help me with this, John. Bring it home today because these people, ooh, they need some Jesus in their life. I get it. Love to diagnose everybody else. Thought about many of you when I was writing this message this week. But before you start kind of diagnosing everybody else with anger issues, would you be so bold as to ask, do I have an anger problem? And if you're not sure how to answer this question, I mean, would you be so bold as to ask your spouse? Maybe ask your kids, how about that? Someone in your family, hey, listen, you know, we're doing this thing at church, kind of taking a, you know, inventory, self-introspection. Do you think I'm an angry person? Because, like, I don't know. I mean, like, but, like, do you see me as somebody that struggles with, with anger? And I would challenge you, if you actually do this, listen to their response. Really listen to what they say and listen to how they respond. Is there, like, a hesitancy on their part to answer your question? And pay attention to how you feel when they're talking about you. Because if you all of a sudden feel like you want to, I don't know, choke them, you might have an anger problem. <laughs> now, this week, as I was sort of writing this message, it was like Monday, and I just kind of got to this part, and I was like, you know what? I need to do the anger test because I would never ask you guys to do something that I wouldn't do first. So I was like, tonight at dinner, I'm going to go to Jacqueline, my wife, and I'm going to say, hey, listen, you know me. Do you think I have an anger issue? I mean, is this like a problem that you sort of see in my life? And then I realize that I don't need to do this test because I know how I act when I'm in traffic. And if I were to write a book about, and I don't know why I would do this, but if someone were to say, hey, can you write a book about why traffic is such a trigger in your life? I would say, yeah, I can write volumes, tomes, if you will. And it would be called Traffic right? Why people are out to ruin my life. 
brought to you from the author of Lines. You gotta be kidding me, okay? I can't stand in any kind of line. Somebody out there was like, oh, we went to Disney last week. It was great. Only waited 30 minutes. 30 minutes? Nightmare. Anyway, back to traffic. I'm sorry. So, look. When it comes to traffic, I am absolutely convinced, and there's nothing that you could say that will change my mind, I am absolutely convinced there is a coordinated effort in this city to ruin my life. Between the traffic and the bridges that like seem to go up whenever they're not supposed to go. Like, and don't even get me started on the Chick-fil-A traffic on Federal Highway. You know what I'm talking about? That's a crime against humanity. Someone just said, I'm in that line. I'm, you're not my friend anymore. Okay, listen. I don't know how the city lets this happen. I mean, if our church parking lot backed up into Broward, you'd have the Coast Guard there, the National Guard, the Army, all kinds of... What is... Listen, and by the way, if like somehow you see a news article and the headlines like, local man, you know, smashes car into 30 people, like with... It's going to be me. Just... Because I cannot take it anymore. Sorry. Here's the other thing. When I'm in traffic... I start giving out what I'll call driving instructions. Do you do this? Use your blinker. Would you go faster? Would you turn already, please? Simultaneously, I'm giving out like medical diagnoses. Like this person obviously is suffering with this. There's no way you would drive like this unless you had this going on in your life. And, and my blood pressure is going through the roof. By the way, I'm on pills now. Okay, my blood pressure is going through the roof. And I start driving like it's fast and the furious. And I'm in a station wagon, folks, okay? Last week, and I'm not making this up because I don't make up anything. Last week, I'm with my wife, and we're driving through Lauderdale-by-the-Sea, right? Quaint part of the city, very nice, but the traffic is a nightmare, all right? And I'm starting now, I'm doing my thing, right? I'm in my, I'm in my mode, and my wife, who's very calm, she looks at me, and she goes, look, listen, if the people at DHC saw how you behave in the car, they'd be horrified. To which I looked at her, and I go, nah, they'd be fine. They're all maniacs. So we've all got some issues, okay? But like I'm, I'm talking about anger on like a serious note though, okay? Like if you are actually somebody who really has real deep-seated anger, there's something that I bet. I bet you have a story to tell. And maybe if this is you, you've never shared that story. But I bet you have one. And I bet your story is compelling. And I bet your story leaves no room for doubt as to the legitimacy of, of why you're angry. Now, for some of you, for some of you, you don't want to tell your story. But have you ever asked why? Because people have experienced your anger. People have been on the receiving end of, of like your wrath. And you're aware of this. It's not like you're unaware. You are very aware that people have, have felt the anger that just comes out of you, but you've never stopped to explain to them where your anger comes from. Sometimes, and I'm not saying this is you, I'm just saying theoretically sometimes, we don't tell our story because we know that if we were to let this story out of our hearts and expose it to the light of day, it would lose our potency. It would lose its potency. And, and you might actually lose your excuse to stay angry. If this is you, and I'm not saying it's you, but if this might be you, don't you realize you're, you could be one story away 
from a healthy heart. Now, on the other hand, some of you, and I'm not saying this is any of you, I'm just saying possibly, potentially, some of you can't wait to tell your story. You tell it every chance you get. Anybody who will listen, those who don't listen, you want to get your story out there. You want everybody to know why you're angry. And the reason you want this, and I'm not saying this is you, I'm just saying theoretically it might be somebody who's listening sometime in the future. If this is you, the reason you do it is because you want sympathy. Because what you've learned over the years is that people will cut you slack when they hear your tale of woe. And from your perspective, your story not only explains why you are the way that you are, but, and this is important, it also justifies it. And when we hear your story, when we hear what happened to you, what you endured in your life, it is very clear to us, it's very clear to us that you have every right. You have every right to be the way that you are. I mean, maybe you faced hardship, maybe it was neglect, abuse, whatever. But when we hear your story, it, it is beyond a shadow of a doubt that you as an individual have every right to be angry. But the big question is, do you really want to remain that way? See, I don't think you do. I don't think anybody really wants to be angry, but where do you start? I mean, really, where do you start? Well, this guy named Paul who wrote over half the New Testament, he gives us some great insight as to how to begin dealing with anger. And I'm just going to tell you, he just puts it out there. He puts it plainly. He puts it boldly. He looks at us right in the eye and he goes, all right, you want to know what you do? Here's what you do. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Just get rid of it right? Get rid of brawling or slander along with every form of malice. When it comes to anger in your life, Paul would say, here's what I want you to do. Just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Now, this Greek word for get rid, the word that he used, really means to separate oneself from. And I was trying to think of a word picture of what he's sort of saying with this, but like, you know when a bug flies into your face and it's kind of like, like you just kind of like, maybe that's just me. You just kind of lose it Okay, Paul wants you to do that when anger comes your way. Just, just get whatever you got to do to get that thing out of your life. Just get rid of it. And he doesn't just stop there. He, he, he says you got to get rid of anything that would gunk up a relationship, right? What does he say? Get rid of bitterness and rage, brawling, slander, then a catch-all. Just get any form of malice, right? If it's on the real housewives, don't do it. Just get rid of it. Don't even allow anger in your life. Now, if you're somebody who's got real anger, who's really sort of been hurt, you look at Paul and you go, easy for you to say. Get rid of anger. Easy for you to say, Paul. I mean, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what was done to me. Get rid of anger. Easy for you to write from your ivory tower. I mean, what are you, in some, you know, Mediterranean villa sipping on some, you know, Brunello de Montalcino or whatever it is you like to drink over the kale? Like, easy for you to write these kind of things. But don't forget where Paul was when he wrote this. I mean, you might not know this. But when Paul was writing this letter to a group of Christians in a town of Ephesus, he was locked away in a Roman jail awaiting possible execution for having done nothing but preach the gospel. So 
might we guess that Paul might have some anger, some rage? So I think before we kind of dismiss it, we need to consider the source. Okay, Paul, we're listening. What do we do? He says, I need you to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. See, what he's saying is that in contrast to bitterness and brawling, he suggests kindness and compassion. And by the placement of this comma right here, he's saying the means by which you do away with anger, the means by which you do away with bitterness is to forgive each other. That, that forgiveness enables us to be kind and compassionate to those who have given us neither kindness nor compassion. Now, if Paul finished his thought here, right? This were a, a period, shall we say, instead of a comma. If this is just one complete thought, we could easily retreat back to our well-rehearsed excuses about how unfair life is or how that person who fuels your anger doesn't deserve your forgiveness. But Paul isn't done here because he's got a comma. He says, we need to be forgiving each other. And, and this next thing that he says, I mean, changes everything. You got to forgive each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. He's saying that we need to be extending this attitude of forgiveness that mirrors the kind of forgiveness that God showed us by sending his son to this world to die a horrific death on that cross. That's the kind of forgiveness that we need to be doing if you were a follower of Jesus Christ. This small little phrase over there, just as, that's the key to the day. That's the key to allowing God to get rid of the anger and the bitterness that has lodged itself in your heart, that is impacting every relationship that you're in, and you know this to be the case. This little phrase, just as, it upgrades forgiveness. It redefines what forgiveness really means for us. So one day, Jesus was doing a little bit of a teaching, and he was teaching about you know, relational conflict resolution, shall we say. When somebody, you know, hurts you, when somebody offends you, what are you supposed to do, that kind of a thing? And so Peter, one of the other disciples, he's listening to this, and he's got a great question about forgiveness. And he knows that as a Christian, when someone hurts you, when someone offends you, that he knows that you're supposed to forgive them. He understands that part. But the thing that he's struggling with is how far do you take it? Now, we've recently kind of covered this verse here, so many of you will recognize it. But Peter comes to Jesus and asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? In other words, when's enough enough? Like, Jesus, I, I want to do the right thing. Right? I understand that. I want to I for, forgive them, but come on. Like, we all have our limits, so... When's enough enough? And so he makes a suggestion. He goes, how about, how about seven times? That good? That going to work? And what his question does is it reveals to us something. It reveals that Peter is under the mistaken impression that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. I think many of us are under that impression as well. It's like, all right, I'm going to be nice to you, right? 
I'm going to do you a solid and I'm going to forgive you. And I'm even going to forgive you seven times for whatever you might do. But, and I'll just say this as an aside, if you've got a friend that's hurt you seven times, you might need a new friend. That's a different sermon for a different day. So back to Jesus. So Jesus hears Peter's suggestion. He goes, I don't know about that. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And before Peter can go, wait, I got a question. Jesus just kind of keeps plowing ahead. And he launches right into, honestly, what is one of his most famous parables about what forgiveness is supposed to look like in your life. And he tells an incredible story, fictional story. He tells an incredible story about a servant who owed his master a debt. And that debt was for the amount of 10,000 talents. How much is that? Because we're Americans in 2021. Let me explain to you what this number is because it's significant. 10,000 at this time was the highest number in counting. That was it. You hit that, you hit the ceiling of numbers. Christina asked me this week, hey, what's the highest number now? I go, I have no idea. This is it's above my pay grade. But this was the highest number then, okay? And a talent is the largest unit of currency available at that time. So 10,000 talents, when, when the original audience heard this, this is, this, is, this is an astronomical debt. It would be like me saying somebody owes me a bazillion dollars. Basically, it's a made-up number, but you, but you know the point I'm trying to make. So one day this master calls in the debt. Hey, buddy, it's time to pay up. You owe me a bazillion dollars. Jesus tells the story that at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. I'm sorry, you're going to pay back 10,000 talents? You're, you're going you're to pay back this guy a bazillion dollars. Right, right? So the servant's master, hearing this, took pity, and he canceled the debt. And they let him go. See, what Jesus does here is he takes the mystery out of forgiveness and he puts it plainly. Forgiveness is a decision to cancel a debt. And we talked about this up front. Because when someone hurts you, it means they've taken something from you and now they owe you something. There is a real debt. And this unbalance this tension exists in that relationship until the debt has been settled. And as we said in the beginning, often that which has been taken from us cannot be repaid. And we see that here. It would be impossible to pay back 10,000 talent. Can't be done. And so the master cancels the debt which could never be repaid. And what happens next is incredible. It says, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he hugged him. And he said, just as my master canceled my debt, I will cancel yours. I mean, this guy gets it. He was transformed. Except I made that up. But you guys know that because you read your Bible all the time, okay? This is what you would expect him to do, right? This is, what you're, this is sort of what we're supposed to do. But take a look at what he actually did. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, and he grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Oh, my gosh. Continuous. But the, the fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, 
be patient with me and I will repay it back. Sounds like a transcript of the conversation the other guy just had. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Well, word gets back to the master. He's none too pleased. And he decides, you know what? I'm going to rescind my offer. I'm going to rescind my offer to cancel your debt of 10,000 talents. I'm going to use your form of forgiveness. I'm going to give you a taste of your own medicine. And I'm going to throw you into debtor's jail, just like you did to this guy. To which we in the original audience go, good. He deserves it. Should have forgiven that guy. I mean, it's a great story. It really is. But then Jesus, as he kind of wraps it up, he says something that I wish he hadn't said. There's a couple of things that Jesus says that I wish I could sort of white out because it's a little concerning. He looked at Peter. Presumably, he looked at the crowd that is now surrounding him, listening to this story about forgiveness. He looks at them right in the eyes and he goes, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. Unless you forgive your brothers or your sisters from your heart. Now, after the first service, a lot of people came up to me because they had a lot of questions about this. And, and here's the deal. You look at what theologians have to say about this passage right here. No one's entirely sure what Jesus means by this. Because according to scripture, our forgiveness is dependent upon his death on the cross. But I'll just say this. I'm not interested in finding out. Because whatever that is, that does not sound like a good thing, okay? I don't want to, but Peter has his answer. Jesus, how often should I forgive somebody? Seven times? That enough? Well, Jesus just told a parable. And we learned that, no, you got to forgive every time. Or you'll pay. Meaning, if we hold out waiting to be paid back for the wrongs that have been done to us, we will be the ones who will pay. But if we choose to sort of put aside our natural human instinct, if we choose, if we make the decision, because we're not going to feel like it, if we make the decision to cancel the debt owed to us, we will break free. And the reason this parable is just so unbelievably helpful is it, it shifts our perspective. Because from our perspective, right? From our perspective, we have every right. We have every right. Listen, you have every right to hold out till you're paid back. You do. You have a right. But from God's perspective, it's possibly the most self-destructive thing that we could do. And if your experience with anger is like mine, then you know that Jesus' warning about forgiveness is not an exaggeration. See, as we begin to sort of look at forgiveness through what I'll call the lens of Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. Because in the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy, right? But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift. 
from one undeserving soul to another. And I just think what Jesus is trying to help us to understand through this parable is that when God forgives, you break free from the penalties of your sin. That's what happened on that cross. But when you forgive, you break free from the penalty of other sins. You are released from the things that they did to you. You you are released from the things that they have taken from you. Their actions, their offenses, their sins. They have no more power in your life anymore. So, it's practical. What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here, one of the things we do every week is we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. And and so what I want to do today to sort of recap the day and what we've learned, I want to give you four, what I'll call treatments, if you will, four treatments that will help cure or get you there at least to getting past and breaking free from your anger problem. The first thing that you need to do is you need to identify who you are angry with. And I know my one friend is angry with me because this is grammatically incorrect, okay? So you need to identify who you are angry with. And, and, and I want you to physically make a list. Really, I do. Either with paper and a pen, using the notes feature on your phone, I want you to make a list of the people that you are angry with. I mean, who do you hope to never see again? That lady's got an idea. Put it down. Who do you argue with in the shower? Is there someone in this room right now? I hope not, but we're humans. Is there someone in this room right now you've got a problem with? Is there someone that you secretly want to fail? I mean, is it an ex? Is it a parent? Maybe for some of you, it's a deceased parent. Purge your heart. Get it out of there. Put it on paper, and when it's on paper, then I want you to determine what they owe you. And this is tricky, and let me tell you why. We as Christians and we as humans, what we tend to do is we forgive what I'll call generally. We forgive generally, but not specifically. It's like, I forgive you. Yeah, but of what? Specifically. Because Jesus' parable shows that we need to forgive specifically. There was a specific debt, 10 thousand talents. He named it. It was there. You saw it and he forgave it. Now, you know, you know what that person did to you. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, what did they take from you? What do they owe you? Do they owe you a, a first marriage? Do they owe you a job? Do they owe you financial security? Do they owe you a chapter of your life? So you can't forgive a debt until you've identified it. So you've got to determine what they owe you. And once you've done that, you've got to cancel it. You've got to make a decision that this offending party, whomever they might be, doesn't owe you anything. And like I said, you're not going to feel like doing this. So you need to make a decision to do it. And I'm not talking about reconciliation. Reconciliation might never happen in your scenario. 
I'm just talking forgiveness. Just as Christ forgave you, you must forgive them. And lastly, you got to dismiss the case. And that's really difficult, and I'll tell you why. You've been arguing this case for a long, long time. Biologically, therapists will tell you that by arguing this case for so many years, you've actually created what are called neural pathways in your brain that make it easier for your brain to just fall into this rut, to have this conversation, to have this argument, to feel this feeling. And after you forgive that person, that neural pathway is still going to be there for a while. And when you have found that you've fallen into that sort of rut, if you will, that's okay, that's going to happen, that's natural, that's how your body works, but you need to gently help yourself out and remind yourself that this case is closed. He or she doesn't owe me anything anymore. Anger is a absolutely devastating heart problem. And it's fueled by our pain. It's fueled by our past. It's fueled by wrongdoing. But if we can manage to follow Jesus' pattern of forgiveness, we can break free from that anger. And our hearts can be healed. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today. This is not an easy topic. And I am sure that even, Lord, by me saying the things that I have said, I have drudged up some hurt in someone's life today. And Lord, if that is the case, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would touch them in a special way. That your love and forgiveness would be a balm in their life. But in the same time, God, I pray, I pray that you would give us strength and courage to forgive, to let it go. Not for the other person, Lord, but for us. So that we could break free. So that we could be set free, God. Because we're hurting. And we're hurting bad. I don't think we want to be like this, God. Heal us today. Heal our hearts so that perhaps for the first time in a long time, we could feel joy. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.